Yes, yes, let's do it indeed. Uh, we have a lot to talk about tonight, Brennan. Uh, mm-hmm. On top of Sausage Party, which our good friend Richard will be joining me for later. You have a prior, yeah. you have a prior engagement, but uh, Richard yeah. will be hopping on a little bit later to join me to talk Sausage Party. Sure. So. We're just going to switch places in about 30 minutes. Yes, yes. It'll be uh, like musical chairs. We'll just right. keep going around. <laughs> but every time I have you on the show, I kind of like to get a bigger sense of what's happening in the movie world. I like to talk in more generics, kind of take a more macro look at what's happening in Hollywood. Um, You see a lot of movies. Uh, We see a lot of movies on the show. We see Mm -hmm. at least a movie a week and we have done so for at least the past four years. Forever. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. If not more, (laughs) but I know that you go above and beyond the call of duty, Brian. That's what you're known for. I think that actually says it on your birth certificate. Brian, right. uh, above and beyond the Call of Duty Gill is actually your full name. But yep. um, you see a lot of movies, and I know I you've seen more movies than we've had time to do on the show or dedicate time to on the show mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, we get paid a lot, but not that much, right. you know? Yeah, so, no. yeah we, they don't pay you guys enough to keep seeing uh, – when London falls or London sure. has fallen yes. or whatever that garbage was that I watched yesterday. Yeah. Uh, you take, yeah, again, you take, take it for the team and uh, <laughs> you're definitely that person on the show. But so let's take this time, I guess, kind of catch us up on some movies you've maybe seen this summer that we haven't had a chance to okay. discuss in full on the show. And I know you saw one this past weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say, my two favorite movies of the summer I've seen in the last uh, last week, and we we're not doing an episode on either of them. Um, yep, I, no, I, not not doing one on Peach Dragon or Nine Lives. So, <laughs> how did you know? <laughs> uh, I am quoted in Meow's Week magazine as having loved <laughs> Nine Lives. Bold trailer, by the way. Bold trailer. Anyway, we, I saw. Hey, I took no, my stop kid. down. Yeah, just do a wanna, second. Just a second. <laughs> yeah, we, Richard's not here, uh, but we, this won't ever come up again. What, what the heck are you doing, Kevin Spacey? I mean, what? I, I literal. This guy is getting nominated every year for House of Cards. And yeah. And he's, he's uh, one of the most respected actors in Hollywood, if not the most respected television actor that's out right now. Because mm-hmm. Brian yeah. Cranston is, has moved on. And so, right. is John, so is John Hamm. So, I mean, what the heck? Like, how could. Yeah. Uh, all right, Kevin, here's the pitch. You're a guy who dies and then becomes a cat or a goat gets inside his cat. Yeah. And I'm just thinking the filmmakers of, of Nine Lives, like, you know what? It'd be awesome to get spacey. Let's just reach out. You never know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Holy crap. Mu- he said yes. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I want to know how much he got paid for that because it wasn't enough. Yeah. It wasn't enough for the shot that his, his uh, reputation took. He has two Oscars. He has two Oscars yeah. and has been nominated for Emmys multiple times. And he did that movie. Like, I mean, it's not cool. like he's not on top of his game right now. Is my point. It's no, not like he's yeah. in a valley and this is the yeah. only job he can get. I just, I'm very. It's, it's very a, weird. I, I imagine he's going to be asked about it plenty the next time he makes his yeah. face show, shown in public. So it's unbelievable. And I don't know what that movie's at on Rotten Tomatoes, but it was like two percent last time I looked. So that's that's what you want that's when you're you Kevin want. Spacey. Yeah, it's always the a good only idea. Movie you have this year that's come out so far is. <laughs> nine lives but anyway Gosh. so what, what did you see 
Uh, I took the kid to see Pete's Dragon on Sunday, and uh, I loved it. It's one of my probably five favorite movies of the year, I would say. And yeah, back half of the year is going to be pretty pretty heavy, so who knows where it'll end up falling. But um, it's delightful. It's everything that I wanted the BFG to be. Which, And I like the BFG. There's nothing wrong with BFG so much as it just didn't quite have the... Uh, the same emotional pull that I expected it to, I guess, given the pedigree and who was behind the scenes and whatnot. Uh, but Pete's Dragon was fantastic, man. And I'm I'm a little bummed that it didn't really make any money um, and that I don't know that it's going to uh, change the way we look at, uh, look at movies or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I took the kid. We loved it. He loved it. He was into it. It's emotional right from the get-go in a very authentic way. I think Bryce Dallas Howard is the best. Like she's she's fantastic on screen, and it's it's good to see her doing something that's better than uh, than like Jurassic World, um, and still getting you know an opportunity to be starring in these things. And the animation or the the CGI or whatever on the dragon is fantastic. Like it's a complete new reimagining of what a dragon could look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I thought I I think it if I was to put out awards prognostications which i don't because i'm not very good at it so take that as you will but it it maybe has the best special effects of any movie that i've seen this year so i would think that it would have some really some better than jungle book season jungle book is up there too i always forget about that for some reason but those that's one and two to me uh whichever way you want to look at it but yeah. the I'm, I'm super impressed with the production design and the way that you know when we saw we did uh, how to train your dragon too mm-hmm. way back when and i thought that was kind of a landmark different look at dragons and the, the way that that especially the main dragon is designed uh, um and this is like a like the next stop on the evolutionary track i guess yeah game like, of thrones watcher yes yeah and look those are incredible looking they they really are and some of the smog. best game of <laughs> smog was all right I, I was a little let down by smog i'm not gonna lie yeah not gonna lie i think some of game of thrones best scenes are uh, just kind of the wonder and and terror at the same time of dragon. This is a completely different kind of dragon, obviously because it's a kids' movie. It's not uh, super Game of Thronesy, but it's it's almost like it reminded me of my beagle. Like we have this awful beagle who I threaten to sell on it like a daily basis, but she is really cute and just lopes around all over the place. She's just the goofiest dog ever, and that. The, the dragon kind of gave me a new sense of, oh, you're a pretty good dog, Lucy, just because it had that same kind of feel. Like, it, it lopes through the forest and in the air. It's not quite as graceful as you typically see with the dragon, but but it works. Like, it pulls it off very well. It makes the dragon more <sighs> vulnerable in a weird way, I guess. That's mm-hmm. that's maybe the best way to put it. Anyway, it's it's fantastic. Um I haven't seen the original Pete's Dragon in 20 plus years, probably. I watched it a bunch as a kid. I don't think that that is a particularly good movie. And this is the kind of remake that I'm, that I'm down with. Like take a, take a meh movie that has an okay concept and, and do something with that rather than, you know, trying to redo Ghostbusters or Jaws or something else. Yeah. Um, a $65 million budget Mm -hmm. and, uh, lifetime gross as of, Right now, August fifteenth, uh, it is on here twenty three million. Yeah, so uh, and it hasn't hasn't gotten much overseas. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully, it catches on somewhere overseas because it's 
you should be able to make your money back on $65 million and especially with a, it's with a um, good movie. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to see the lack of discussion about this considering it's a Disney movie. Um, mm-hmm. and it's like you say, if it's good, you would mm-hmm. think there would be more buzz about maybe more positive word of mouth. I really haven't heard a word about it to be honest, yeah. other than well, you saying it's good. I haven't, yeah, it's it's kind of weird. I don't know why it's missing with audiences because it seems like maybe it. You know, I had some pause about taking my kid to see it. I just i I thought maybe it would be a little too scary for him. So maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's that that type of movie that's stuck between the family audience and the adult audience. I I don't know, but man, it's good. So if you, especially if you've got a kid, get out and see it. Take your kid to see it because it's it's really really strong movie. Awesome. Well, what was the other I movie you mentioned? Dude, uh, we got in the early summer, we got, I don't know, dozens of, hey, are you guys going to do? We get this all the time on Twitter and email. And email hey, are you going to do an episode on this? And the answer is typically no. Like, we're typically going to do what the big movie of the week is. And someday when we uh, get to do this uh, more frequently, uh, we, we would love to do two or three or four episodes a week. But it, it's hard to get to some of these smaller movies and do a full episode on them. Uh, the lobster was a mm-hmm. huge pull earlier this this summer. Just tons and tons and tons of people asking if we're going to do it and recommending it and all that. I never got a chance to see it in theaters. I rented it. It just came out on uh, DVD and all that good stuff. Uh, I rented it uh, earlier, or I guess last week, and it's it's probably right now. I have it as number my number one movie of the year. So um, it's so weird and offbeat, and the entire plot. Like I was trying to explain it to my wife and she was kind of looking at me like, whoa, what does that even mean? Like, this is such a weird, a weird concept. And it is, and it's done with such, um, it's done with such grace that you just kind of um, like within two minutes, you're just, yeah, I'm in on this weird idea. The general idea is just the one where the people, if you don't, like you basically get turned into an animal if you don't uh, get married or something like that. If you're single past a certain age, uh, what happens is you check into a hotel that is for single people and uh, you have a certain number of days dependent upon your age and however however long you've been single or however long you were in a relationship prior to coming to the hotel. If you do not find a significant other within that time, then they turn you into an animal. And it's like they explain this in the first two minutes and – you're just like, well, what does that really mean? And then it doesn't matter. This is this is the concept. This is the world that they live in, and you just have to go with it. And it is the it's like a an uber adult version of a Wes Anderson movie. Like it has this weird pacing to it. And Colin Farrell is. I, I'm sad that Richard's not here to talk about it because he and I just love Colin Farrell. We we were we've been on the Colin Farrell bandwagon for way before it was cool to be a Colin Farrell fan and he has this incredible deadpan delivery for the entire movie for the entire two hours. He never cracks a smile or really shows any emotion. He's just, he's the straight man to all this weirdness that's happening around him. And it's so good. And and he does such an incredible job. And I laughed more in this movie than I did in just about any other movie we've seen this year. And And, it's not really a comedy. Be clear. You haven't seen sausage party. I have not seen sausage. Party. I I don't know. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. true. That's true. Uh, I didn't get out this weekend, but you know, nice guys was really funny. Um, yeah. I thought Hail Caesar was funny. Pop star was very funny. 
this is not a comedy. Like it's a, it really is like a, a, a Shakespearean tragedy in a way, but in the same way that those, those Shakespearean plays were, were very funny, kind of wryly uh, and dry. That's, it's the same thing. It's, it's really cool. And it's a, it's a movie that if you're a, you know, if you're the person that only goes to see one movie a, a month and, and that's it, this may not be the movie for you. If you're a cinephile and hopefully most of the people who listen to us are, are kind of in that category uh i think it's a must it's a must see it's a re- you you and richard need to see it before the end of the year too because uh i it, it could be a, a major player on our top 10 list so we have some movie news to discuss brian um we didn't get on we didn't get a chance to do a reaction episode for rogue one <laughs> it was much requested what sorry about that yeah. uh, we already talked the rogue one trailer isolated for about an hour already and you can <laughs> right. that episode still um, didn't really need to do another one, but, uh, we're going to give our mini thoughts, I guess, or mini reaction here. Rogue One's just around the corner and this is, I guess the final trailer. Maybe they'll do one more for TV. Uh, yeah. And, I think uh, they've got one more coming. Yeah. I think somewhere. they got one more full spot. International spot is what it would be called. But, uh, okay. this one is, uh, debuting during the olympics or debuted last week during the olympics and it's the first full-length trailer we've gotten and uh what do you think i'm excited for gareth edwards i think this shows more the scale of what he's doing it definitely mm-hmm. yeah. shows more the plot line it introduces more of the characters or the seven people that will be traveling with jen urso the main character um shows us forrest whitaker more uh i don't know about you brian is there something weird going on with Force Whitaker in this movie, like, is he doing like going full Red Main Jupiter Ascending with this character? <laughs> like, it kind of seems that way. Like, it's a very risky way to play this character. I don't know. It's Star Wars, so weird stuff happens, and you just kind of go right. with it, and it seems natural. But like, I don't know. When he was talking in the trailer, the first time you see him, it's like, what? Why is he, why is he talking like that? You know, I don't know. <laughs> what are, What are your What's your thoughts on that? I hadn't thought about Jupiter Ascending since we saw Jupiter Ascending, so thanks for bringing that back <laughs> into my life. But um, now, look, I think the trailer is very good. I'm very excited about this movie. Um, I like that the first one just kind of basically gave you a glimpse of all these different characters with almost no context uh, beyond the the main character. What's the main character's name? Jenner. You said Jenner. So okay. She. Um, I I will say that first teaser I liked better than this trailer. That first teaser for World One is is epic when it's, like, I think it's a what, what will you become and all that? What yeah. will you do when they find you or whatever? Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. Like something yeah, you've think, never seen from star Wars before and yeah. just so, so epic, but go yeah, ahead. I think that's a perfect teaser trailer. Yeah. So, you know, I someday I'd love to get to a point in society where we own, there's one trailer and one trailer only, and you just have to go with it. Uh, because I don't, because I can't stop myself from watching these trailers, but I don't need to know anymore. Like I just, I, I would have been fine with that one teaser, give a sense of the tone, introduce you to the character, and now we're off. Like, just wait till December. That's all I need. But if we're going to keep producing trailers, then I guess we got to, you know, we'll keep watching them. I I can't stop myself. I don't know about you. Um, I thought it was a good trailer. I don't think it was a a groundbreaking trailer. Every trailer for Force Awakens, I just felt like a kid in a candy store, you know? It was yeah. it was so cool, and all of them kind of brought something new to the table. This did, too. You get a little... You get way more sense of what the plot's going to be. Uh, you get a, a better feel for the kind of... The world that these characters operate in, which is, again, like, 
the coolest thing to me about all these Star Wars movies and these standalone Star Wars movies especially is because that universe is so wide open and there's so many different uh, worlds and dynamics. You can literally do anything, yeah. There is Yes, exactly. There is zero, there is no limit to uh, the possibilities of what you can do in there. So this is a, I like that we're getting pretty much the entire cast is like, is POC, which is cool. Um, it looks, this looks really good. And that I think it was important to, to put this as much as I don't want to watch four trailers for, for one movie. I think it was important to get out a good trailer. Um, it kind of get ahead of all the behind the scenes shenanigans that I don't think are a big deal. I think we've talked about on the show and, and all agreed. This is just pretty much typical stuff, but because it's star Wars, we're going to, uh, you know, we had to make some articles out of that. Um, but I think it was important for them to get out and say, Hey, look, everything's on track. Everything looks good. Uh, and just kind of reaffirm that faith in it for anybody who's, whose uh, faith had been shaken, but there's some great shots in the trailer. I, I love the, the shadow trooper. Like that is such a cool looking yep. bad guy. Like the most awesome looking, uh, storm soldier or whatever well and captain phasma but okay <laughs> yeah that worked out really well for us um the shot of uh of her walking you know kind of limping down the, the catwalk mm-hmm. to in the face of a tie fighter is yeah. awesome like that's a that could be a a sort of iconic shot once the movie is is out there um what's, what's the guy's name who is kind of the uh the Asian guy who's who's got all the 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 cool ninja moves. Oh, I don't uh, know. Yeah, it's like is it Donnie Yen that's playing that character? I think it is. Yeah, so, it is. It's Donnie Yen. Um, he looks man. awesome. Hitman. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So that he looks like he's going to be a bigger player than maybe we would have thought from the original trailer. So that's going to be pretty cool. I'm excited, man. It looks awesome. Um, you're right. That teaser is is kind of perfect. So. You're, in some ways, you're almost set up for for a little bit of a drop, but to me, it felt like uh, it felt like it hit all the right notes. It showed you the the people that you needed to see, gave you just a, a little bit more on what to expect from them, and then we end with the the shot out of Vader that I knew we I think we all knew it was coming, but it was still cool. I uh, I, I don't know. I knew it was. I didn't even know the trailer. I I didn't even yeah, see yeah, yeah, the cool. reaction, and like the show Rogue One, like the title. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, "Here comes Vader! Here comes yeah. Vader!" And then they oh, cool. show it, and it's just like, "Ugh, kind of." Yeah. I don't know. I think it's. Kinda, I thought it was fine. I, I thought it was cool. Cheap. After, I, the, I th- like, honestly, Brian, like with these stingers, I call them stingers. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, that's what everyone calls them. I don't know. <laughs> I just like, claim that. <laughs> yeah, you call, uh, with that stinger, tr- like, will anything ever match the Chewy We're Home stinger? No. At this no. point, like, why even do it? Like, Darth Vader yeah. is big, but like, it it didn't give me any more excitement. Than I already had for Rogue One. I don't sure. Know, like, if, if we didn't know that Darth Vader was going to be in the movie, then that would have been the coolest moment. Like, yeah. in some ways, that maybe should have been in the teaser instead of the, right, the right. punch. Trailer. But I thought it was cool. It, it was a. You're right. It, it didn't hit home the way that that Chewie were home did or anything like that. But it did. I thought it was cool to see him. And it. it if there was anybody out there who didn't know, I think it was important for because here's my thing. There are people that don't understand where this who are big star wars fans who don't understand where this movie falls in the canon and uh don't understand who these characters are and blah 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 blah. so i think it was important to have something in there even if it is that one second stinger as you as you coined uh to kind of bring it all home a little bit and relate that 
to the people who maybe don't understand exactly where this is coming from. Because I think like Force Awakens was an easy sell because it's the first Star Wars and we're coming back. And then you have all these characters that you recognize and that's very easy to buy into even if you're only kind of a a surface passing Star Wars fan. This one is going to be harder to sell. I don't think this one's going to make a billion dollars or you know, seven, two billion dollars or whatever, like, uh, like Force Awakens did. And I think they're okay with that. I think they recognize that that's a likely scenario is that they're not going to, it's not going to come out as that successful because, uh, I think it, there is some question about like, how does this, where does this go? I don't understand. Mm-hmm. I've explained it to at least a dozen people. No, it's, it's here. It falls between episode three and episode four. It's very close to episode four, you know, all that sort of thing. So I think you're going to have some people who just, can't figure out what to yeah. do with it. I think that Vader shot was important for those people. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it'll do as well as The Force Awakens did, just generically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was mayhem for about a month at a theater if you were trying to see The Force Awakens. Totally. Uh, I think this is going to be, it's going to do well uh, among Star Wars fans, but I don't see it uh, breaking any records or anything like that. Uh, but you never know. This one looks more like Star Wars than. The Force Awakens did just from the look mm. of the trailer. I don't know. It just feels it feels like it was shot in the seventies and that they like digitized it or upconverted the film footage to HD. You know what sure. I mean? Like yeah, it, yeah, just yeah. Has it has that, that kind of dirt. It has that grain. It has that honestly vintage seventies feel. Like within the costuming sure. and the hair and everything, like it feels straight out of Star Wars. Whereas the Force Awakens, it was much brighter. It was kind of a more polished version. Before sure. it went along with it, but this feels like it could have been shot back then. That we, there were just deleted scenes, you know. Like it honestly does feel like that. But uh, I was a little concerned with the teaser, and of course it was a teaser about the scale of this film because we know this. The biggest strength that we've all talked about with with Gareth Edwards is his sense of scale and how he just uh-huh. yeah. how he's done did incredible work in Godzilla, just making those creatures seem real and lifelike and bigger than life and uh same with monsters like that's what he does best is these Mm -hmm. larger than life things and i'm sure he'll do a great job with the death star and the scale of that i think there's a shot in this trailer of the the death star like solar eclipsing a sun which looks awesome like i'm Mm -hmm. really excited to see how he uses the death star here but uh i was a little worried about that but we do in this trailer get more sense of the scope of the world like you said and uh, there's a scene I, or a shot in this trailer where she's r- riding some kind of speeder or there's a ship flying through like a – not asteroid field but some kind of storm and it looks huge. I mean mm-hmm. the, the, yeah. the effects on this look gigantic and I assume, I assume the third act is going to be quite, quite large. Yeah. Uh, I, I felt like just this story and the fact that this is a standalone movie kind of. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. It's really not going to be in canon with anything they're doing past this, other than kind of playing off the original trilogy. Uh, yeah, I I just thought this would be a more isolated story, and it might be that way. You know, mm-hmm. I, we haven't seen the movie, but I just feel like uh, this kind of answers some questions as far as like this is going to be a big epic movie instead of kind yeah. of this side project, you know, yeah. small thing. Uh, I sure, feel like- and I think that I think that this one kind of has to be that way because I think they almost have to like prove that this works, which is kind of weird because uh, look, I love star Wars. Star Wars is my favorite thing in the world. So maybe I'm the wrong person to comment on this. I think you could put out a star Wars movie every quarter, the way they put out 
Marvel movies and people will be fine. Like it mm-hmm. may they're not gonna make uh they're not gonna make two billion dollars or whatever, but they're they're gonna be uh huge hits every year. And maybe there's uh, diminishing returns at some point. Regardless, I think that I think they feel like and and maybe this is just me kind of projecting, but I think they feel like this one has to kind of set the tone for what we can expect from these uh, standalone movies and these anthology series. I think if this one is successful, I've said this before, I think this is the right movie to start with because it is connected to the original trilogy, but it's not, but the characters are, are kind of separate, I guess. So it, it, it's the best of both worlds in yeah. a way. Yeah. Um, and so I think if you can, if you can pull it off with this one, and let's say you know it's profitable and uh, it's well received, g- general generally with fans and and with uh, and with critics. Then I think you start to see a few more of these things greenlit, greenlit, I guess, down the way that are less and less connected. So for every, I think what you could have happen is for every Han Solo uh, origin story, you get like a random i don't know a random bounty hunter movie that takes place in a random spot in the canon that is almost completely disconnected from mm-hmm. any of the the films themselves and just be like yeah this one only cost 100 million to make or 80 million to make and uh it's a little bit different and we went out and we took a chance on the director and yada 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 i think you can do that i just think this one has to kind of prove the model first yeah i think so I don't know who it was. I think it was Mark Hamill, maybe, who was talking about the Han Solo movie. Mm-hmm. Somebody had read the script for it and said, like, it's the best thing ever. Like, the, like yeah. the uh, Lord and Miller Han Solo script is, like, incredible, apparently. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe it's Peter Mayhew who plays Chewbacca. Maybe he's read it. Like, somebody yeah, I trusted. I can't remember who it is, yeah. but yeah. Somebody I, I trusted I read it and was like, it's the best thing ever in star Wars and you're going to be blown away by how great it is. And it's going to be. So I, I actually have high faith in that. Now that I, I kind of mm-hmm. heard that seal of approval. Sure. And I'm, I'm thrilled about, uh, Aaron, Aaron Rick, um, Alden yeah. Aaron Rick yeah. as Han yeah. Solo. I think he, that is the absolute right choice for that. Um, so yeah, this is kind of testing the waters for them. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe, and you know, they still haven't announced that third offshoot film. Right. They still haven't right. announced the director or the subject matter or anything like that. So maybe they're kind of – if this doesn't work, you know, maybe if, if it's not as big as they – maybe, you know, if, if Assassin's Creed beats this out opening weekend or something, you know, <laughs> right. I think that's right. what it's going against, like something like that as far as the blockbusters coming out. But mm. it is Christmas time, so who knows. But Yeah, this opens against – nothing first week but then the next week is christmas the christmas releases okay. i believe so, so it'll it'll dominate its opening weekend it's a matter of what does it do second third weekend etc this gives disney lucasfilm an out though on that third mm-hmm. standalone or at least a temporary pause if it doesn't right. work as well as they had hoped and i don't believe the rumors until i see them i was like that with suicide squad i <laughs> yeah you know i was totally on board with suicide squad even after the massive reshoot rumors went around and uh that one ended up not working out so i hope the same is not for this one um because we don't need any more bad star wars that set us back about 10 years when uh, we were having watching bad star wars movies literally set us back 10 years uh so 
yeah, still excited and it was a fine trailer. I mean, we get, we get a better look at, like I said, the gang, uh, who is this guy that looks exactly like Ian McKellen when he was 25, you know, that's playing the like, <laughs> um, the villain kind of the, Oh, Ben Mendelsohn, yeah. the guy in the white. Yeah. Oh, Ben Mendelsohn is going to be awesome in this movie. Like, I might be more excited about him than anybody else in the in the casting of this whole thing. Like he, Donnie Ian's that dude good. is creepy as as heck. If you put him in the right role, yeah, yeah. he is terrifying. Ben Mendelsohn, Diego Luna, I'm excited for him mm-hmm. too. I think yeah. he fits really well in this universe. It's randomly. a great cast, yeah. man. It really is, and it's it's a obviously it's a very diverse cast, and I mean that both in terms of you know, it's not all white males, but also, um, you know, like they're not huge names, but they're recognizable. And, uh, man, I'm excited. I'm looking down the list right now. You know, Forrest Whitaker might be the biggest name on the list, and he's the one I'm the least excited about in the movie. Like, Felicity Jones looks like she's going to be great. I'm excited for for Mads Mikkelsen and Alan Tudyk, Mads, Mads, uh, Mads Mickelson might be the perfect villain for this too. Like, yeah, and I, I'm excited to see what happens with him because, yeah. uh, spoil, spoiler alert his his character name is, is he has the same last name as Felicity Jones, so he's like her dad, I guess. So that oh great, I that oh, plays I am out. your father. That plays out. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. Because they wouldn't they would not put that in the in the IMDb if it was if that was a spoiler you know but right anyway I, I i it's a cool cast it's different it's kind of a, a bridge i guess between casting a bunch of people that you know and then the force awakens where you're casting people that most of a lot of you know daisy ridley no one had ever seen do anything and et cetera, et cetera. so I, it's a cool it's a really cool concept i i have no no doubt that it's going to be successful i i do wonder how successful and i and i do want to know what that What's the number that they have written on a whiteboard somewhere that they're targeting? And at what point, if they get to that number, what does that lead to down the road? Does that lead? Because what I ideally you want this to make enough money, like we've just said, to make them to then be able to take some chances with some of these standalone movies. Yep. We shall see. And I'm so excited for episode eight. I, mean, yes, I can't, yes, I can't yes, freaking yes, wait. Yes, I know that's going to be the best of these. I just know it. I could mark it down. Yeah, I don't care. Three years from now, if you're listening to this, uh, and not, you're like, man, he was right. That was weird. You know, yeah. Two years ago, I we think, predicted it would be the best one. Right. It's, it's obvious. It's the way this is all coming together, mm-hmm. and the the guy that Ryan Johnson is, and the, what what all the positivity that's come from JJ and Kathleen mm-hmm. Kennedy towards yep. that project. Like, I'm just so so excited for where totally. that's going. Yeah, and I we actually think get that, to see Luke. Yeah. I think that legitimately has a shot to be the best Star Wars movie of all time, which yeah. is saying something because those are my those are literally number one my favorite movies ever. Is that are the original trilogy? So mm-hmm. that's you know that's saying something for me to put that out there. But I I think that has a real chance. We still don't have a title for that. Still haven't released an episode eight title or subtitle. Yeah, I don't know how long it was before Force Awakens. It was maybe like a year before we that we heard it. So. Maybe in the yeah, next couple months we'll hear, hear a title for, for I wonder eight. if they'll be bold enough to hold it all until a teaser Rogue one. Yeah, and then give us a drop a drop a teaser in they Rogue One. They should drop a teaser in Rogue One for sure. That would they be should awesome. do like a ten second like little thing before yeah. the movie starts. You know? Yeah. Would not surprise me at all. <clears throat> that would be great. But I don't know if you saw speaking of Forrest Whitaker, he's got another sci fi movie coming out this year 
Arrival. Mm-hmm. Did you see this trailer? I haven't seen the full one yet. I know it came out today, but I haven't had a chance to watch it. I saw that teaser uh, last week, and it looks really interesting. Really interesting. Amy Adams. Uh, yeah. Love Amy Adams. And uh, it's Dillis, D- Dennis Villanueva, who's an incredible actor. I mean, excuse me, incredible director. Uh, and Jeremy Renner. I like Jeremy Renner. So uh, that's that's got a cool concept. I do think it, there's a weird feel to that original trailer, and maybe it's changed in the... In the the full trailer that just came out that I haven't watched it, but it it does have like a almost like you know like we're in a sort of the golden age of sci-fi right now. I think sci-fi movies, and this does kind of feel something closer to like late nineties instead of you know what uh, it feels like, Brian. Contact Shyamalan. It does feel like Shyamalan a little bit. That's a good way to yeah. That that makes me a little nervous. It does feel like Uh, Contact a bit. Just yeah, just yeah. Subject it just matter, has that but. that kind of that kind of general. And it's the look too. Like it kind of looks that same way, and and that's that's not necessarily a bad thing. It just it did leave me. Maybe it's set in the nineties. It's on purpose. Okay, Who knows? I, can give I don't know. Yeah. It does have yeah. an Independence Day kind of feel too. If sure. you see this new trailer, the one that came out today, I believe mm-hmm. uh, there's like a scene where ships are appearing all across the world in major cities, kind of like the <laughs> right. Independence Day thing that we said. A couple of weeks ago, when we reviewed that movie, plug, mm-hmm. plug, Ugh. that uh, that that Independence Day would be the most copied movie over mm-hmm. the next couple of decades, like the most imitated movie, right. and it seems to still being imitated. I mean, again, we haven't seen Arrival, but uh, just by the looks of the trailer, it seems to be a very similar kind of mm-hmm. thing. So, it, it, the ships are reminiscent of kind of Independence Day and the way they arrive, but. In the way they're kind of on Earth, uh, 2001, the kind of obelisk kind yeah. of thing, mm-hmm. mysterious. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to think. This one comes out in a couple months. I think November 11th is when it yeah, drops. November so 11th. we don't have to wait too long to be talking right. about this one. Man, you know what's weird? We still haven't gotten a trailer for Passengers, and mm-hmm. I that's Christmas, and I'm dying to see that. Like, I so badly want to get a look in at what that. I've seen set photos, but I I need a trailer for that one. They each got paid like. 50 million dollars to do that good get Jennifer it Lawrence and get that money Pratt. yeah they're worth it <laughs> yeah get that money i can't freaking wait for that movie like that one other than rogue one that is easily the number one most anticipated movie for me for the rest of the year uh but gosh i want a trailer i want to know what it's like come on yeah. it's just weird that they don't have one out yet at this late in the because game. they don't they know they don't need to have one because it's going to be so big, I think. Yeah, I you know so. what I mean? I hope so, yeah. I hope so. It's like, yeah, we can wait, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I think they released a photo, and it was like, uh, it was just Chris Pratt in like a spacesuit, and yeah. Jennifer Lawrence is just kind of standing there. Like, that's all we've we've seen, and we're three months away. So, mm-hmm. so thank you, Brian, yeah. for jumping on from Movie News. Will you join us later for Weekly Recommends? How about that? Yeah, I can do that. Okay, great. Hey, ma'am, fam, question for you. Do you own a small business or are you a boss? Are you looking to hire awesome people but you just can't find somebody to fill that role? Well, let me tell you about ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites all with one click. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. 
Right now, you can post your jobs for free on ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. Thanks to ZipRecruiter for supporting this episode of the Mad About Movies podcast. Hey, what's up, ma'am, fam? Kent here. And yes, if you're hearing from me, you know it's time to talk about Blue Apron. If you haven't tried out Blue Apron by now, what the heck are you even doing? Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They deliver fresh meals straight to your door. All the food is fresh. It's sourced from local farms. And there's no wasted ingredients. I've been a Blue Apron subscriber for a long time now. And they have still, to this day, never let me down. There's tons of variety. Some featured upcoming meals include summer vegetable and egg paninis, soy glazed pork and rice cakes, skillet vegetable chili with cheddar drop biscuits, holy crap, and garlic butter shrimp and corn with green bean salad. So take it from me. Try out Blue Apron now. Go to blueapron.com slash mad. That's blueapron.com slash mad. Get three meals on us for free. Nothing goes better with a movie than dinner. So check out Blue Apron, blueapron.com slash mad. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. All right, so Richard and I are here, and always good to talk Star Wars with Brian. Love that mm-hmm. guy. Sometimes. Only when we're talking <laughs> Star Wars. Yeah, it's his only purpose to me. <laughs> I only am friends with Brian, so I know the average price on Star Wars collectibles. Like, that's his right. main so – if I can get the median on most Star Wars collectibles, uh, he's worth having around. But no. And to make yourself feel like not quite as much of a freak. Right. <laughs> that's why I keep Brian around. for other, Not Star Wars, but other things. Like, every time I think maybe I'm too into the NBA, then – I just look at Brian and I go, oh, okay, well, I'm not, at least I'm not keeping spreadsheets on my computer. Isn't that, wasn't that on the Sandberg movie, Pop Star, that the perspective warper, he always like yeah. had a guy that was really short walk around with him. So he yeah. looks like really tall all the time and attractive. That's funny. Uh, no, Brian, thank you for joining us earlier, but uh, Richard and I have taken it upon ourselves to break down Sausage Party and... I have no idea what you think of this, um, but this is one we've talked about on the show multiple times in, in mm-hmm. the past in kind of anticipation. And uh, I'm, I'm surprised it's here, surprised that it actually came and went, and I saw it. And uh, like I said, this is one we've been talking about for a long time. And it, the movie actually started production, just a little backstory, actually started production in 2010. Wow. And – uh it's just now, of course, six years later, coming out. And uh, it was supposed to come out in 2015, I believe, but they had some issues with some of the sequences animation-wise that they needed to clean up. Uh, so it was pushed this year. But nonetheless, this has been one that we've been hearing about from Seth Rogen and from the people involved in it. It's got the uh, typical, the 2010 all-star cast, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> the David yep. Krumholtz and the Michael Sarahs and Jonah Hills of the world. Kristen Wiig. Right. <laughs> Kristen Wiig, like, peaking at in 2010. Bill Hader. Right. Bill Hader. I, I'll be honest, and I want to talk about the voice acting specifically, but I did not know that was Hader for, for like, yeah, 90% of the movie, and he kind of gives it away at the end. But uh, he has become, like, 
one, maybe the best voice actor out there. Yeah, as far he's as the Daniel Day Lewis of oh, voice as actor. far as like c- completely becoming someone else and uh, not even being recognizable in their own voice at all. Usually, with a lot of these people, you can kind of tell who it is, even though they're kind of changing it. Uh, well, Seth Rogen hides it well, right? Well, and you know, like kidding, yeah, <laughs> he always plays himself in every movie. He's very typecast oh, yeah. into the. Uh, yeah, the bumbling stoner. But um it's no different here. But um this one is uh is an interesting concept. And uh it's one that when it's, you hear the concept, it's hilarious, first of all. And you also think uh we've been talking about animation quite a, a bunch this year already. Mm-hmm. Uh we talked Zootopia earlier this year. Right. And uh I think we all saw the secret life of pets, but ended up not doing an episode on it because I think we had about eight minutes of thoughts on it. And uh, that wasn't worthy of taking an entire hour. But I have seen a lot of animation this year, uh, nonetheless. And uh, I haven't seen uh, Peach Dragon yet, but I heard that's also fantastic. I have not. And uh, we have one called The Wildlife coming out later this year. That's another talking animals type thing. So that seems to be the theme of 2016 for kids' movies is talking animals. Sign with me. Always makes me laugh. I'm always in. But this is, um, as far as conceptually... It's reminiscent of Toy Story, of course, mm-hmm. but uh, you got to think that why didn't this already happen before? And it kind of did. Uh, VeggieTales was a thing when I was growing up. I don't yeah. know if you were a VeggieTales fan. I'm sure Brian I was. was. I missed it. Uh, I I think Brian. I mean, maybe Brian was, but he's a little bit older than us. I feel like you're you're a year younger than me. I feel like you guys are the first VeggieTales age. Like yeah. I just missed it. I was like that way with Barney too. Like I just missed Barney. Well, if you but are, I was aware of uh, yeah. it, certainly. Yeah, if you're unaware out there, listen in listener land. Um, Veggie Tales was kind of a kids show, but it was based on Christian stories. Like they would reenact basically biblical stories using animated food, uh, yep. and um, they had a lot of toys. That it was it was I extremely remember. popular. Uh, I mean, we went to private schools growing up, but it was extremely popular in my church and in my school and everything and neighborhood. Uh, it wasn't on TV, I don't think. I think you could only get them on VHS and stuff. So those things were like, there's a black market for VeggieTales back in the day. Is I there? Know. Uh, and uh, it was like Larry. one of the first things I looked up on the internet was like the all the Larry the Cucumber silly songs because they would do a silly song every episode or whatever. But those were dark times. But nonetheless. Uh, <laughs> It never crossed over to the mainstream because it was a Christian kind of show. Mm-hmm. And uh, that might have been the opening for Sausage Party because it's a great concept, uh, the fact that food could be self-aware and talk and everything. And uh, like I said, it never had the chance to really cross over into the mainstream as far as television and movies or big screen movies goes. Mm-hmm. But this is an idea like the whole talking animals thing, Richard, that right. like was going to happen eventually. From if Pixar would have done this eventually, maybe if if Seth Rogen didn't. But I mean, if you're going to get this movie, what a better way to make it just extremely crazy? I mean, this is this is the most insane movie I've ever seen. Maybe I mean, <laughs> I I couldn't believe my, I was like I had my jaw dropped the entire time I was watching this. I couldn't believe that this was an actual movie that got made and took six years to make. And uh, almost won its opening weekend and would have if not for a superhero movie that shall remain nameless. But, you know, like... And plotless. and Yeah. And it's basically exactly what it sounds like. Food uh, is self-aware and uh, they kind of, you know, know what goes on. 
uh, or become aware of what goes on outside the uh, confines of the grocery store. But uh, general thoughts for me, man, like I said, what an insane freaking movie this was. And I, I was kind of wondering how far it would go, but I didn't expect it to go as far as it did. I had never, right. even for Seth Rogen, I was surprised at a lot of the stuff that they got away with here. Mm-hmm. And uh, interesting kind of conversation surrounding this is, do you think they get away with less being the fact that it's an animated movie or you can get away with more being the fact that it's an animated movie? You know, I think it, I think it goes back and forth, right? I think some things come off much more harm, harmless uh, than if it was a, a human saying it. And then there's other things in the film that, I mean, this seems like such, just such a political answer. But it really is true. Like, and then some things you're like, oh, if there's a human saying it, it would be so much more acceptable. Um, it's yeah, it's weird. I think it's it's a movie that, you know, I, I I am surprised it got made too. But I'm also kind of surprised it took this long because that, you know, any great cultural, uh, you know, touchstone like like Pixar is or like DreamWorks Animation or Disney Animation now and and a variety of other studios, you know, that's a big part of the last 20 years. And uh, it, it, most things get parodied much quicker than that. And I think Pixar didn't because it's the quality is so outstanding. But but that market has been there to make fun of forever. And I think it kind of a little bit got done with Ted. I mean, not yeah. quite the same thing, but kind of a similar, at least idea of let's take something um, at least sort of aesthetically for children and just raunch it up and for laughs, um, tonally kind of totally different thing. But, um, and it, but yeah, this movie is, it really is interesting, but it's also walked away with like, wow, that, that could have been made in like 2007, like, you know, right after Dory or something and, uh, and would have been huge too, but it, I'm, I'm glad it came out. What a great cast and interest. It's an interesting original comedy, which is yeah. how often do those come out once a year, twice a year, maybe. Yeah, I think the um, the easy thing to do here would just be say, "Hey, let's do a Pixar movie, but make it crazy mm. raunchy." You know, that's the easy right. thing. Sure. Uh, this movie really surprised me in the fact that it goes as far as right. Pixar does with a story and trying to make it a story that goes somewhere that has a lot of deep meaning. Right. It has a few different has, twists. There's has a lot twist to, after. Oh yeah, it has a lot to say about a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't expect that really. I thought that, uh, they would have just thrown something together. Like this is the end style and kind of, right. Kind of done it and it would have been fine. And we would all laughed at just the sheer lunacy of toy products saying the F word or whatever it mm-hmm. is, you know, or, uh, food products. And, uh, but I was very surprised at how serious it kind of took itself at times. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily let down with that. I just didn't expect there to be any kind of moral to the story here other than just what's on the the, to- the poster. You know what I'm saying? I totally, I totally agree. I, I do think that's what makes a great parody though. And it, it reminds me of two um, really great, uh, you know, uh, satirists of, of the early two thousands. And I'm talking of course about Kent Garrison and Richard Barton in high school. <laughs> and, um, but you know what, when we used to do that, we had, we had a boy band in high school called the troublemakers and it would have been really easy this is such a stupid analogy, but I think it works. It would have been really easy to just like go out and just kind of make fun of boy bands were big at the time and just like wear a headband and like a weird pantsuit. That's funny. I mean, you'll get the same laugh, but like if you're really into comedy, 
the funnier thing to do is to be really good. And so like to have spent clearly spent hours memorizing all the dance moves of the boy band, every little thing and, and rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing yeah. to you and me, that was so much funnier. Now they're, they're 18 ninja levels higher of funny than us. Obviously I'm not comparing, but I'm just saying if you're really in a satire and you're really into parody, that's like the thing you do. So if, if Pixar's known for story, then that's what you're going to attack. You're going to do something with a crazy story because otherwise it's cheap and it's easy. You know, I, you're totally right on, but I think that's what makes, that's what elevates this to a really, really great uh, version of Pixar or something because that's what Pixar is known for, right? Everyone will tell you, if you go to film school, the first thing they'll say is, if you want to watch a modern film that teaches you how to tell a story, watch basically any Pixar movie except for some of those sequels. Um, And that's what this does. This same thing has the same beats, the same notes. And, you know, it's like when Weird Al does like really intricate, you know, Weird Al doesn't just take a karaoke track and sing new lyrics over it. He actually makes the music again himself you know he's he's he, you know he makes every part of the music re, redoes the track all over yeah and uh that's, that's exactly what, that's the best comparison is that weird al is funny like he could go yeah. up there and do polka songs or whatever and yeah. it would be fu- it would be funny but he's actually like really really talented and has a great <laughs> voice and everything so right. it makes it that much better yeah you're right yes yeah. and that's this that's what takes this from look if this was cursing um you know decadent horrible uh celery sticks it would still be funny and honestly um probably would still make 30 million like maybe not that off off from what it made but what will keep its legs going and will make this kind of culturally relevant is that it's it's eight layers deep in that in that seven layer dip right could yeah this could have easily been a raunch calm and one of those you know, kind of happy Gilmore, not happy Gilmore, happy Madison, kind of 20% on Rotten Tomatoes, fun, stupid, raunchy things, like even Netflix exclusive kind of things that everyone just kind of sees and forgets about. But, uh, I mean, they literally in every sense of the word, Richard said, let's make a Pixar movie for adults Mm -hmm. from story to animation, to voice talent, to, you know, every little detail, Easter eggs. I mean, there are so many Easter eggs here. Right. Most of them are poking fun at Pixar for all their stupid Easter eggs that they yeah. cram into every movie, whether it fits or not. Uh, and uh, it's just so much to think about here that I never expected to. I mean, we're talking about animated fruit, uh, food products right now. And I'm talking about like philosophical lessons that I learned or whatever. But right. let's get into it. Uh, what did you think of this? Just on a total visceral level. So I'm a crazy person, and I get this from my mother, um, that I uh, personify objects. So, for instance, if I go, <laughs> if I go to the – if I go to Foot Locker and I'm buying socks, and I pick up a pack of socks, and I have very like awkwardly large feet. And so I buy <laughs> socks for like a normal foot. Um, and then I, I realize it before I check out, so I go put those back, and – I get the large size. I will feel bad for the the stuff I put back. Like, like they're, it's not a real thing, but I feel bad for those socks because I feel like I got their hopes up that I was going to buy them. This is how I actually think, and I actually have to fight an impulse to get the socks I want because these socks that don't actually exist will feel bad. That's why I'm nuts. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that being said, I have thought about how food feels when we eat it. This is <laughs> this is something I've pondered my whole life. And uh, I intellectually totally understand that that isn't the case. I, I don't actually do these things, but I do have a quick twinge of thought when I'm in the grocery store. Like, oh, I touched that salsa first. I should get that salsa. Um, 
So this made total sense to me logically, uh, and only feel. And I felt I felt uh, for these these various uh, grocery products because of years of insanity on my own level. Um, so just like plot wise, I know most sane people. It was kind of a crazy concept for me. It really wasn't much of a leap. Like once this was explained to me three years ago when I heard about the making of this, or five years ago, whatever. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, you got to make that movie. That's an obvious plot. So. Mm-hmm. I wasn't like mind blown by it, but I was really mind blown by the ex- pardon me, the execution of it, the fact that it's not a one joke premise, that's a multiple layer joke premise, and then there's plot twist on top of plot twist into a final even crazier plot twist at the end. Yeah, which we'll get into later. Um, and uh, <laughs> and the, yeah, it's so much more. I don't know if it was funnier than it needed to be. It was like the appropriate amount of funny, but it was like we were talking about earlier. It was so much more layered than it should needed to be. But it made me really appreciate it. I mean, like it, I don't, yeah. I don't know how good it is, just because it's so much better than it needed to be. It's hard to grade it, but it's it's good. I mean, Richard, I, I'm telling you, I just belly laughed like constantly throughout yeah. this movie. I mean, I don't know if I've been in a theater since Anchorman, maybe the original, oh, wow. that they the audience has laugh that much okay. i mean it was like non-stop people were like in the aisles laughing at this movie wow um and not draft day <laughs> no, uh for, i was laughing for different reasons but <laughs> okay, it man. was um i mean it was so daggum funny and i think the fun. scene that kind of kicks it off is obviously the the intro which uh definitely starts off like a traditional mm-hmm. disney movie uh with the shop wells store establishing the scene and then all the food products in there saying like the great beyond i think this is the song right and how they want to go to the great beyond and how that's uh heaven for them and how that's uh where they ultimately want to end up and uh it immediately turns crazy like uh, towards the end of the song uh and the first kind of intro scene that we have of the characters is just the pack of hot dog wieners and the pack of buns like going back Mm -hmm. and forth and uh I mean that back that dialogue is just so freaking funny. The dialogue between Kristen Wiig and Seth Rogen and Michael Sarah and then whoever the other bun was mm-hmm. at the time. Uh I mean Michael Sarah, he's he's ninja level on he is. on his I mean, why hasn't that guy taken off more than he has? I mean, just for comedies. I know Jonah Hill has branched off and done dramas and kind of found his niche there. Mm-hmm. But Michael Sarah, I think, is a is a more talented like comedian from just a total subtle level, you know. Um, yeah, unfortunately, and, uh, I think Jesse Eisenberg takes a lot of his parts. Yeah, yeah. and I think Michael. And this is like Can a you total, imagine Sarah as J. Daniel Atlas. I'm yeah, like imagine. Sarah though is like Jesse Eisenberg is like a better looking version of Sarah, which is Hollywood's obviously going to push that. Sarah's great though. He's such a subtle, gifted. Um, he reminds me of like a modern Bob Balaban. <laughs> <laughs> like if, if Seinfeld was made yes. in like 30 years, he would totally be the chair of the network. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, uh, he's great. I don't know why Like I, I'm not one of my favorite comedies ever is super bad. And I, I think I've talked about it on the show. Like you can't make super bad too. I wouldn't want you to, but I don't know why, <clears throat> pardon me. It was the same thing with like Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn. They waited too long, but like, I don't know why there's not a Sarah and Jonah Hill movie, like every four years, different plot, different yeah. characters, but like just, explore that kind of comedy team element because their rhythms are so interesting. I think Vaughn and Wilson had that and then they waited too long and did the internship um, as their follow-up to Wedding Crashers. But if they had done a movie every two years together, 
I think it could have worked. And uh, Sarah's such a great counter energy to that Jonah Hill, Seth Rogen energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it works so well. He's such a good neutral in these kind of things. He's, and he, he's hysterically funny as well. Yeah, unfortunately for Sarah, Jonah Hill found Channing mm-hmm. Tatum. And they're exactly. kind of the duo now together. Exactly. If, uh, if anybody. That's sad. I, I would love to see... See Jonah and Michael do another movie, yeah, kind of like an Office Space yeah, type movie, not like just not, as adults, not necessarily or, do Super Bad Two or no. even those characters, but just kind of teaming up again because they do play off each other so well. Yeah, uh, I'm surprised that hasn't happened more. Maybe they don't like each other or something. Maybe there's something more to it. I don't know. I don't know, but they're really funny together. Super Bad holds up so well. Yeah, um, but I guess well, plot, people don't forget plot wise here. Um, I guess all we could really establish from the beginning is that the food wants to get bought and they want to get married to each other. And, uh, so that's real. I guess food has feelings of love toward each other, which I didn't know. I and, did. Uh, <laughs> that brings a whole new element to it. But, um, <laughs> there's a really, really funny sequence, uh, at the beginning of this. And <laughs> I mean, this movie, this movie parodies so much, um, yes. that, uh, it's just so funny to watch, uh, after the thing about after the fact, but, um, so the food products really, really want to get bought, right? And uh, mm-hmm. they finally do get bought, and they're really, really excited. You know, they get picked off the shelf, and they're all, like, chilling in the cart. I thought that was hilarious how they kept going back yeah. to the cart, and, like, they were all partying in there and stuff. And then uh, something happens, and the lady drops her basket or something. And the kind of, like, <laughs> the, like, flashback sequence, like the Saving Private Ryan flashback, yes. fl- like, like flashbang sequence where yes. where uh the sausage or Rogan sausage is like looking around and like yeah. I guess I guess like a a bag of flower busts, you know, and like yeah. it creates this haze smoke around everywhere. And uh the thing that killed me was the Oreo cookie walking around and just looks down and picks up its other half and starts walking <laughs> away just like the scene yep. in Private Ryan Saving where Private the guy Ryan. grabs his arm, yeah, and like walks away. <laughs> and uh Especially, I mean, that's a almost shot for shot off yeah, ri- off of uh, Saving Private Ryan, and yeah. uh, the guy um, whose guts are spilling out. Mm-hmm. He uh, he, I guess it's Giovanni Ribisi, kind of in uh, Saving Private Ryan, but um, uh, it's peanut butter and jelly here, and the peanut butter's like leaning over the jelly, who's smashed on the ground. Like it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. <laughs> uh, I mean, I just wanted to be there, kind of in the brainstorming of what they could rip off here. Or right. or how how organically did all this come up? Did they sit down and say, okay, we're going to rip off Saving Private Ryan, and we're going to, you know, uh, we're going to have pita bread here, and we're going to have salsa here, you know? Or how yeah. how organically did this story kind of come together? It's like I, I have a feeling like it's okay. Well, they're being taken out of the store. Oh, what if they fall out of the cart? Oh my gosh, we're going to have this huge <laughs> scene where you know they're dazed and confused by you know falling right. out of the cart for the first time and everything. I thought that was funny, and. um there's always a hint kind of here at about what the great, what lies beyond the great beyond or in the great mm-hmm. beyond. And, um, it's funny to me how they went about informing the other food products of the truth of the great beyond without them themselves going into it. Like they kind of find out beforehand, like it's not what it seems, you know, like I've seen some crazy crap, man. I think he says, uh, but they do that with the honey mustard character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, it's funny because the honey mustard, I guess, gets returned to the store. Like it's such an easy 
thing to move the plot along. Like, right. how would he know what went on outside? Oh, well, somebody bought him. You can return a product, so he returns the product, and then he goes back on the shelf and uh, kind of explains to everybody what happens. They don't believe him, and then they have to kind of witness it for themselves. But I mean, it's just a very clever way to go about yeah. that rather Make than – Make a profit essentially. Yeah. Very logically, yeah. And it's like logically playing off stuff that actually happens in a grocery store, you know? Like clean up on aisle three, that whole thing where mm-hmm. they're cutting from the uh, PTSD sequence thing to the actual lady in line checking out. Like, oops, I think I dropped something back there. Mm-hmm. And he's like, clean up on aisle three. You know, it kind of cuts back to real life, uh, which I think the Lego movie did a great job of, you know, kind of giving it perspective on it, it kind of zooms out for a second, you know, and kind of shows you what's really happening here. Um, it comes into play again when we kind of shift away from the perspective of the food and towards this perspective of the humans, if that makes sense. Um, in the fact that uh, all the food products that are friends with Seth Rogen, except for Seth Rogen, get bought, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, they go to a house, and Michael Sarah is kind of the main character that we're following there and uh the the carrots are like run for your lives you know and uh yep. and they, the trailer basically yeah, yeah and they turn around and it's two carrots rolling off a table like stuff like that is is very funny and clever and uh yeah man i was just thinking to myself during that sequence if this wasn't in the trailer this would have been the sequence like of the year maybe you know yeah uh, if that we hadn't spoiled the actual reveal of when they find out what actually happens because it's so funny when that potato is like singing joyously, you know, and like yeah. getting washed off. And, and then it just starts getting his skin It's like, it's like peeling off my skin. And they throw him in the boiling water and everything. I mean, I was losing it. it still, yeah. I mean, just the, like I said, the sheer goofiness of it all is, is so, and the cleverness of it all, really. I mean, I bet there are, I bet Pixar is like, man, that's good. You know? Like, oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's the ultimate, you know, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery test. Yeah, How can but, you not be flattered by that? I mean, they made a, they just kind of R rated up your formula and it still worked. Right. And uh, it's not like this is, I mean, we can come on here and say, yeah, obvious plot line, easy, easy story, but to make it good and to bring like actual flair, like we've seen a lot of comedies. Even this year, like, yeah, great concept. Uh, hard to pull it off. Like Ghostbusters, you know, right. you can't just make Ghostbusters and have it. It's not going to be funny just because that's funny people. You have to come up with actual bits, believe it or not. Uh, you have to come up. We have to write jokes. You have to write funny back and forth. So you have to have visual gags. Uh, this movie had all of that. Not, a, to me. not if you have Leslie Jones, man. You just let her go. <laughs> Wind her up and let her go. Yeah. <laughs> not when you have Kate McKinnon in a variety of wigs. <laughs> I mean, that writes itself. I mean. Just, <laughs> I wish I was kidding, Richard. Wish I was kidding. Yeah. Uh, but what do we think of Bill Hader as the firewater kind of Indian whiskey character? I thought that was hilarious. Uh, the whole them drink smoking the peyote, that whole bit sequence was mm-hmm. hilarious with all the kind of non-perishables they called them. That's <laughs> another really clever <laughs> thing, you know? Yes. Uh, man. Because uh, they've been around doing? the longest, they've seen the most death. I mean, yes, yeah, I mean, so it's so it's such a fortunate. It, I mean, it's genius. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from the writers, but like, gosh, this world of food like lends itself so well to this narrative. It's it's unbelievable how well it's pieced together. And and they take it a step further, or not just by giving the <laughs> food products personalities. And this goes back to where I thought uh, this kind of lends itself to more commentary than I expected. 
is that every personality kind of of the food fits the stereotype of the ethnicity of the people that eat that kind of food. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so you have these kind of crazy characterizations of, you know, the pita bread, the Jewish pita bread and bagel, how there are two right. types of like Jews in New York and they don't really get along, you know, like the Hasidic Jew and the Woody <laughs> yes. Allen kind, you know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, no, I know. That that, so the funny. Jewish part's so crucial because, you know, Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg are Jewish. Right. And like, you can tell, and I like this because it shows that they're smart, but you can tell that, uh, you know, they're like, they're going to do some, maybe some racially touchy humor. So let's really hammer on the Jew- hammer home, the Jewish jokes so that the other ones can land a lot softer. Oh yeah. Right. Cause yep. it's like, that's the most offensive stereotype of all of them. And so, but it's like, hey, we're Jewish, you know? And so it's like, you know, and so, uh, it makes it, it's sometimes funny to see, you know, sometimes stereotypes are funny. It's touchy. It's hard to pull off, but I think they did. It is, I mean, it's funny in itself. And it's kind of a stereotype that Seth Rogen, one of the most well-known Jewish actors in Hollywood is the uh, the sausage in it, yeah, the, pork <laughs> the, right. the pork product. I mean, that's funny. A commentary in itself and is a joke in itself. But um, what do we think of like the other food products? Um, I mean, I know they're they're meant to be kind of racially offensive in a way, sure. um, but I think they do it in a way well, that makes doesn't it really offend me. You know, I think they go about no. it with it, we really should preface cheek, any- you know. Anything we say like that, though, Kent, and I'm going to make a point of this, we're two white guys. So yes, it wasn't right. offensive to us. Doesn't mean it wasn't offensive right. to some people. But I personally, I tend to have my nose on this a little bit. You know, I noticed these kind of things. I didn't, it did not offend my sensibilities, but maybe it did other people who are of different races. I, I will always, I will always uh, give that preface before. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just thought it was so clever. And I, it really does play off of, I mean, and not even race, like the fact that the, <laughs> I don't know how to broach this on our PG show. Um, the fact that Selma Hayek's character is a lesbian, given what her character is. Yeah. Does that make yeah. sense? Exactly. I mean, exactly. there's little things like that that are just like, I mean, totally off color and in poor taste. But it's been a while since something's been in poor taste that was really funny. And I'm fine with poor taste. I, I have the Jerry Seinfeld thing, right? It's like, if you're funny, I'm interested. If you're not. I'm not, and uh, this was funny enough to be interesting. Right. And it plays not only off of kind of the stereotypes, but also how most grocery stores are laid out in kind of by ethnicity. I know it's weird, but you have the Hispanic totally. section and the Asian oh, yeah. section. And, and they do yeah. that here where, you know, Seth uh, Rogen and I guess him and the bun and who else is it? Uh, I can't remember. Are They're, they're finding – they're looking for their friends or wherever, and um, they're they're traveling around the store, and they're kind of going through like you know how you would go through the Chinatown of New York, and you'd go through all these different suburbs and, <laughs> and cities in New York. They're going through different ethnicity aisles of the store, which I thought yes. was another another great way to establish a world within a isolated location, such as a supermarket or wherever. Um, right. It was a great way to give you different settings without just the same aisle and food products on the shelves kind of thing. And uh, the, uh, very clever. I'm not going to say any of them. Again, PG show. But if you pay attention to the movie, uh, even if you don't hear the movie or notice it in the movie, make sure you like Wikipedia or IMDb it later. The um, the character names are a great little Easter egg. Yes. Yeah, they are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I highly recommend uh, paying attention to those or – or uh, checking them out after the fact because that's like its own little joke. Yeah, what did we think of uh, 
What, Sam what Bagel of, Jr. being the least offensive of all. Right. Those. Right. Where? What do we think of the? Uh, what lessons did you learn here? I think. I think the obvious thing it's satirizing is Christianity. Um, yeah. How, I think any any it's satirizing. Uh, any religion of any religion, with an afterlife, like, yeah, with an anyone, after, you know, the afterlife theory. I think basically what, what we've all been told is a lie. It was made up right. by people uh, who were f- too afraid to tell you that nothing happens after you die right. and everything, or you die after you die, and that's it. Um, and that's kind of a, the obvious uh, plot. Well, the line great here, but, kind of moral of uh, you know the great the 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 one moral of well, there's more. I'm not trying to be disrespectful or anything, but uh, you know, atheists would contend that sometimes that, you know, uh, people of faith really use the afterlife as a crutch and it hurts their behavior in the current life. And uh, I think this parodies that well. I think I had a uh, when I was young, I had a uh, a priest that said, you know, we should in, in some respects, we should all live like atheists because, you know, we shouldn't. There, There's a tendency for, of Christians to uh, to, uh, uh, you know, act like jerks now because i'm gonna go to heaven so i don't care um and sometimes sometimes uh so i think this this uh definitely puts that moral of the story what's probably more extreme than i just worded it uh forward which is fine it's an interesting it's an interesting outlook on life yeah i guess for me uh that was probably the most obvious uh takeaway would be that that kind of what they're commenting on but uh also how kind of the races interact with each other too I didn't mm-hmm. notice that. Uh, totally. It's not only like, hey, these food products represent the pe- the races that they're associated with, and that's like a joke, but also like the uh, class divides between them, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, like like I said, they really thought out how to lay this out in a clever but way. And- that's impressive too because, you know, 2016 has been a year of heightened racial tensions, and it it very timely to do this type of humor – and very and done in a good way, in a well thought out, interesting way. And like we said, this movie's been in development for twenty ten since twenty ten. So talk about having your pulse on on things kind of ahead of time. Well, speaking of not um, speaking of doing something kind of non timely, was the bath salts plot line? Like, <laughs> yeah, that, they were about that bath was salts so and... crucial to the plot, though. Yeah. They were booked in with that that sucks but it is what it is right yeah i know a lot of bath salts humor in this yeah what did we think of that and I so guess, we'll go into spoilers yeah, here so spoiler uh bath salts allow humans um through hallucination to see that the food can talk and and personify the, right the, which is of course interpreted as half hallucination half real it freaks all the people out um and then the 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 food uh it was toothpicks right they like lace um, they dip toothpicks in melted bath salt that they like melt like what <laughs> like like they would heroin or something. Yeah, uh, and, and, and they, uh, they yeah. want all the humans to see that they're alive. And, and they the shoot first... toothpicks like with bow and arrows, which I thought was clever too, that as well. Was and that was kind of the first big plot twist of like how are you going to bring in the humans to this, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that goes on, and we'll get into the kind of final uh, epilogue plot as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, like I said, you know they. This seemed like a probably hilarious idea in 2011, and certain things you can kind of get out of that may date a little bit with 2011. But this was so crucial to the overall narrative. I think they just had to stick with it. They probably like should have just put the easiest way to fix it would have just been like to put 2011 at the beginning of the movie. Like this, like you know how Lebowski yeah, randomly this was this was made in 2011. Yeah, or, or just like it takes place then. Like right. Lebowski randomly takes place in like 1992 for no reason. 
just yeah. so they can make like three Gulf War jokes. Um, it would be funny if this did that too. It'd be such an easy, like it would cost like $10 to do that. Yeah, exactly. Um, another hilarious part to me was the Stephen Hawking gum character. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the little chair it was in that was made out of like a nine volt battery and like hooked up and there's like just a piece of gum sitting in it, like chewed gum. I, I thought that was just, that was just so clever and funny. And, uh, I mean, it's dumb, stupid, but the fact that they gave it the robot voice and that it was so insistent all the time was, was very funny, uh, to me. Any other characters stick out to you, um, that I haven't mentioned? I'm trying to think of some, uh, I hadn't heard or thought of Harlan Williams in a while. He was the bottle of ketchup. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he, he of, um, he of, uh, rocket man fame. Uh, a film that I know changed both of our lives. Uh, I'm trying to think. You've kind of gone over. I mean, it's it's the murderer's row of early 2010s and late 2000s uh, comedy all stars, right? Franco McBride, Craig Robinson. I think Paul Rudd is the store manager. I think I noticed his voice. Um, you know, like you said, David Crumfoltz, Nick Kroll. Um, so yeah, I mean, everyone's great. Everyone's totally. It's very well casted. Uh, for the parts, I would. I wonder, it, like you said, you were kind of wondering about the, um, you know, the, the process behind this. I wonder if they signed the actors and then kind of assigned food uh, alter egos for them, or had the food alter egos and assigned actors to those. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's it's a good question. Um, maybe it was kind of collaborative. Uh, they yeah, write scenes sure. with their friends, and they would kind of get their I'm friends. I'm sure Bill input. Hader just write whatever you want and assume he'll totally embody it because he's the. Yeah. Uh, He's the guacamole gangster, El Guaco, yeah. as well. Yeah, he is. He should win the Oscar for both. I mean, he was he was absolutely great. Um, he's, he's my favorite. Yeah, he was great. Uh, another funny bit I thought was how they uh, did the whole Mentos and Coca Coca Cola thing at the end with like the Mentos package, like ripping the ripcord and all the little Mentos like flying out uh, towards the end when they kind of take over the store. Uh, what did you think about how this all comes to an end? towards the end uh it, when it builds everything so, out. just like pixar man it builds that climax and hits it big mm-hmm. uh and it's like a uh it's almost like an edm song or something it, it simmers and then this thing just goes all kinds of wheels off and that's impressive because it's good it's good screenwriting because you the setting of this and the whole idea of it is so asinine that you have to go to like level 18 to seem like you're going to level 10 and they pulled that off yeah, they. I mean, this movie, it looked incredible. I don't know what. I don't know how they. I'd never it. seen an animation style that that straddled the line of CG and claymation so well. You know, nineteen million too production budget allegedly. I, yeah. I Unbelievable. Think, yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with. First of all, there's a huge story out right now, or just just came out that. The people were vastly underpaid. Like it was like sweatshop conditions on the animation of this movie. Uh, okay. uh, maybe that has something to do with it. Like, yeah, we'll do this, but we're going to do it literally the cheapest way we can, which is in Asia in like a small place. You know, like they do <laughs> yeah. with The Simpsons. Uh, and so that might have something to do with it. The fact that you're literally not paying Pixar to do it. Uh, also, yeah. a lot of it has to do with environments and the fact that it is restricted to one isolated place, even though they do mm-hmm. kind of have different settings within that place that really sure. eliminates the cost of animation. I mean, when you do something 
as vast as the Irish countryside, like you do in Brave, or you do something as crazy and big as the ocean, like you would do in Nemo. I mean, there's just so much stuff to animate. There's so many technologies you have to come out with to do that. Um, and uh, I think Pixar spends the most of their money in these movies just kind of pushing forward the technology of uh, of the genre. Um, but I mean, this is proof. If you do want to make a good looking CG animated film, it can be done for under twenty million dollars, which is mind blowing. Uh, I can't believe it's that low, honestly. I no, we should that. raise the money. We're taking donations now. Oh yeah, let's do it. We can raise twenty million. We'll do a. Uh, we'll do our own. Mad about movies, the movie. But I guess this kind of comes back to the box office. It did lose to Suicide Squad. It, it, this had over thirty million dollars domestically. Mm-hmm. Uh, Suicide Squad pulled in another forty. Uh, it's dropping by the week, I think now, or I think last week. It came out two weeks ago, uh, it, so it opened with over a hundred, and it dropped like over fifty percent. So, um, so we'll see. But as yeah. far as this I mean, goes, we Brian, heard on Suicide Squad it's going to make what eight hundred to uh, break even with yeah. all the marketing. As far as so. this goes, Brian says um, he didn't think this would do well, and. Uh, I thought it would do well just from the cast and how crazy the trailer is. But um, what does this kind of say for R-rated animated films? I think Seth Rogen <laughs> has gone out and said he wants to do more films like this. You know, he has more ideas for R-rated uh, animated movies. So does this kind of open the door for more of this? Because to my knowledge, the last ones that I've seen that did anything were the uh, was South Park the movie and then Team mm-hmm. America. Uh, right. from, from in a, in a large scale sense. And the Simpsons movie came out, but that was PG 13. Uh, I'm trying to think of any kind of raunchy animation. Um, no, Archer hasn't that. had a movie. There's been no family guy or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, the closest you get is kind of, like I said, kind of Ted. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Um, but yeah, I think, I do think, look, it's a, it's an industry that loves to imitate itself. So that can, we will probably get, uh, you know, a terrible version of this at some point in the next two years. Uh, but I think Rogan can do more of this. I think this is a cool way, um, kind of a B project for these guys. I think Goldberg and Rogan have, they don't bat a thousand, but they have a decent batting average for original comedy. I would say, you know, every other movie of theirs is pretty interesting and pretty funny. And as, as screenwriters and, so I think this is a cool way to, like, like you said, this took six, five or six years. You know, go ahead and take five years with every one of these. Work on it slowly. Bring people in to do the voices while you're doing other movies, and kind of nurse these out every five years. I think would be interesting. But he, you know, those guys are uniquely qualified for this. I don't know if I'm trying to think of who even else would do it. I mean, McFarlane maybe. Like you said, Trey Parker, Matt Stone could do it anytime they wanted. It would be great. But they, yeah, they're otherwise engaged with with broadway and and south park and other stuff i mean i I would certainly guess if they wanted to make an animated r-rated comedy again that it would get made and do well so let's hit a grade here uh richard Mm -hmm. i'm gonna give this an a i love this nice so i'm gonna i'm gonna go i'm i'm debating between two i'm gonna go a i'll go a as well almost went a minus but i'll go a okay sausage party Loved it. Want to see it again. This will be one that comes up later in the year for both of us, I'm sure. So, hey, what do you say we bring Brian back for a weekly recommend? Let's do it. Weekly recommends. So, this comes every time this year. 
I kind of make the same recommend, but it's also very different. Uh, Hard Knocks is back, guys. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. It's, uh, it's glorious. I love Hard Knocks. It's, it's, uh, it's a show on HBO, if you don't know. And what they do is they follow a different team every year, NFL team, through training camp. And training camp is where I am right now. It's where I've been for the past three weeks, in case you wonder why I've been gone, absent from the world, and I sound so tired on the podcast. Uh, that's because I'm out here training camp uh, for the Cowboys. But they are following the L.A. Rams this year. It's their first year back in L.A. after over 20 years gone. They've been in St. Louis, and now they're back. But uh, the season has started. The first episode has come out. The second one is out tonight. And it's a really, really well done documentary uh, series. Documentary series, I should say. Um, Mm. NFL Films is an incredible organization. Yeah, they're the Uh, best. They're like the gold standard. It's the gold standard of sports journalism, really. They do incredible work, you know, cinematography-wise. But also their storytelling is just... I mean, you can't write it, you know. The way they edit mm-hmm. it, edit real life together is is amazing, and they can make any team seem interesting. I, I, I honestly, after watching Hard Knocks for, you know, the past, whatever, 10 years or so, I honestly can say, like, I rooted for the team that was on that year. Because, like, you know, like last year was, I think, the Falcons. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, or no, the Texans. Texans. The year before year. that was the yeah. Falcons. Yeah. The Texans, like, I... You know those players, you know, you know those guys that got cut that made the practice squad, you know. Right. Um, it's, yeah. It really does give life to these stories, and it, it shows you that these players are actual human beings and not just like posters, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that's what was biggest for me is how much of a sacrifice NFL players make. Yeah. Doing what they do and being away from their families and the dedication it takes to being an NFL player. And there's a scene in the first episode where Jeff Fisher, the coach of the Rams, is in their first meeting of the season and he's like all right i'm gonna run through some rules you know no drinking no drugs you know no women in your room past hours very simple you know that's the rule okay great everyone got it everyone's cool and later in the episode they catch a guy with a girl in his room (laughs) and so there are cameras everywhere in hard knocks there's really nowhere you can go if you're the team where they're not where you can have a conversation with the player that they're not going to be filming you especially in the coach's office or something like that. So they're filming in and uh, Jeff Fisher, the coaches pulls this guy in and it's like, you know, you know that rule about uh, not having women, you know, what happened there? And the guy's like, man, you know, lost track of time. You know, the girl was there and then she left as soon as we found out what time it was. And, and Jeff Fisher is just like, all right, uh, well, we're going to have to release you. Oh, uh, rules snap. of the rule, rules of the rules and uh, best Dang. of luck to you. Wow. <laughs> the guy just wow. walk, shakes his hand and walks out like just cut him for for literally like kissing a girl basically uh, <laughs> cut him like his career might be over you know um Gosh. incredible but it just shows you like the drama like stuff that actually does happen with teams mm-hmm. that the, the team website will never report on and they never get to film honestly they have all access with hard knocks and i work for a team or I work for the Cowboys, but we you know we don't even have as much access as Hard Knocks would have if they were here. So it really is an incredible look at it, and so interesting and well done. But Hard Knocks is back. I know you'll be watching, Brian. Oh yeah, and definitely. I hope JJ I've... Watt just comes back randomly and is just working out at midnight <laughs> with a dummy. I hated that. Oh, that sour me on JJ uh, Watt forever. Maybe. You guys hate JJ Watt so much. I think it's I think it's funny. <sighs> okay, what's your recommend? 
I'm going to give you two because Richard's not here yep. and I want to. Uh, because one, you you reminded me because I'd kind of forgotten. I forgot Hard Knocks was on. I started watching uh, Hard. What is it? Shoot. Last Chance You. I almost said Hard Knocks You. That's a different thing. Last Chance You on Netflix. It's Hard Knocks for junior college. Okay. So it's a, it's a power junior college. I think the, what are they called? It's, um, uh, Mississippi, I don't know, North Mississippi, East Mississippi community college. And he is a, the coach there has built a powerhouse. They've won three of the last four junior college championships. They put, uh, 10, 12, 15 guys into division one every single year. Uh, and a lot of their guys are are dudes who have busted out from other programs, you know, uh, like Florida State and Ole Miss, who you know have gotten in drug problems or couldn't make grades, or uh, like in the case of Cam Newton, you know, he kind of got in trouble at uh, what school was he at before before uh, Auburn? Now I can't remember. Regardless, Blinn, he went to, University Texas A&M. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He went to junior college for a year, won a championship, then went on to Auburn. It's kind of the same thing. It's it's that sort of a, a mentality, but it's just like Hard Knocks. It's it's all access inside look, but with the added feel of like one of the main characters in the first episode is the academic advisor whose job it is to make these idiot kids go to class. And she's just like scrambling all the time and frantic and all this. It's really good, dude. You, you definitely like it. You need to check it out. Uh, so I'd highly recommend that I've watched two episodes. I think there's eight and they just greenlit uh, season two for next year. So Really cool. Really like it a lot. If you're into Hard Knocks, you'll definitely enjoy uh, Last Chance You as well. And then I'm going to recommend a video game, which I almost never do because I don't have time to play video games and have never been particularly good at them, even when I did have time to play them. Uh, there's a game that just came out last week. I think it's only on PS4. I don't think it's on Xbox, and I think it's coming for PC before too long. The game is called No Man's Sky, and uh, it is... The entire thing is you wake up on a, you've crash landed on some distant world and you've got to put your shit back together and get back out into space. It is the ultimate uh, open world concept where there are something like 19 quintillion different worlds and combinations of worlds that you can explore uh, and it's all computer generated. So the, the hook is no two yeah. players. I know, I know. It's the, <laughs> it's so nerdy, but it sold me. Like just this idea is so cool. Quintillion right. worlds. Yeah. The, the so the deal is because it's computer generated. Like there, no two players are having the same are playing the same game. Like world, no matter how many copies are out there, no two players are playing the same game. And in fact, like it's very rare for players to even interact within this universe because it's so vast. So anyway, it's really cool. I've put in i don't know five or six hours on it and i'll never be able to put in enough to actually uh you know achieve anything on the game because i just don't have the time to do that but it is the coolest idea and i'm i'm really sold on it at the moment so uh check that out no man's sky on uh, ps4 excellent excellent well glad to have you as always brian even if it yeah, was, was brief fun. sorry glad i missed you richard I'll yeah be back it's all good time. Richard and I had a great talk about it. Thank you, Richard, for being here as well while you could. But, Brian, where can we find you online? You can find me on the Twitter at BGill12. You can find my writing at madaboutmoviespodcast.com and in the Mad About Movies newsletter. Hit our website, 
check the newsletter tab and sign up for that if you haven't already. Kent, where can we find you? You can find me online at Kent Garrison. You can find Richard online at Richard Barden. And you can find our show on iTunes. Just search Mad About Movies. Hit subscribe. Tell your friends. And if you like what you hear, please leave us five stars. That uh, helps go a long way in growing the show. Thanks again to our sponsors for making this episode happen. And until next week, uh, we will see you at the cinema. Goodbye. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Again, scrambled eggs all over my face. They're making me ya ya, your salads and scrambled eggs.